Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women's Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. How might we reconsider the world around us as we press on to know God more fully? Author Kat Armas joined us on the podcast to discuss her new book, Sacred Belonging, a 40-day devotional on the liberating heart of scripture. Kat talks about her own journey of learning to integrate ideas of ecology, embodiment, and ancient wisdom with her study of scripture, ultimately discovering some fresh avenues for connection with God. It's a very different kind of devotional, one that seeks to disentangle biblical teaching from power structures that marginalize women and people of color. The book is broad and expansive and full of stories from Kat's own life. And if you listen to the end of the podcast, I've included an excerpt from our conversation where Kat talks about the importance of body awareness, especially for academics. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Kat Armas, a Cuban-American writer and speaker, hosts the Protagonistas podcast, where she highlights stories of everyday women of color, including writers, pastors, church leaders, and theologians. She is the author of Abuelita Faith and has written for Christianity Today, Sojourners, Relevant, Christians for Biblical Equality, Fuller Youth Institute, Fathom Magazine, and Missio Alliance. Kat speaks regularly at conferences on race and justice and lives in Nashville, Tennessee. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Well, Kat, thank you so much for joining us and welcome back. We had you on the podcast about a year ago in September 2022 when you talked with us about your book, Abuelita Faith. So I would just love to hear how your last year has been, things like that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be back. Um, yeah, I mean, this past year has been, you know, just a whirlwind when you have a little toddler. It just feels like, you know, time goes so fast, but not really. It's almost like, wow, humans grow at such a rapid pace when they are tiny. You know, it's <laughs> like, I, I think about it. I'm like, man, imagine if I went through that much growth when, you know, now as an adult, it would feel so um, disorienting. So it gives me a lot of compassion for young children. But um, yeah, we recently moved to a farm and, you know, we wow. got some goats and some pigs and some chickens and, you know, really wanted to reconnect or rekindle our relationship to the land, you know, my husband and I. And so that's been, we've been on a journey of, um, yeah, learning the land and learning how to take care of, you know, a bunch of critters in the last year. So it's been really beautiful. Wow. So how has it been for you to continue pursuing writing and work like that while you're caring for uh, tiny humans and tiny other critters? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's honestly been wonderful. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, of course, waking up early and, you know, tending to a bunch of 
animals and um but it really has been such a healing space for me i think to you know when you're out there and you're it you know tending to and in the midst of creation it really um yeah it takes you sort of out of your mind and into your body and i think that that's been um just a beautiful spiritual practice for me really is um yeah getting out of my mind and into my body and yeah. you know getting my hands dirty and um yeah really i mean really caring for you know critters that i don't know are just out there doing their own thing you know what i mean like i'm you know um yeah, who are loving me back in a different kind of way. And I think that that's been something, you know, we just got a bunch of chickens and they started laying their first eggs. And so that was really exciting, you know, to just get our first eggs. We're like, yay, you know, I, I posted about this on, on the internet recently, but it was this beautiful reminder of how when you love, you know, the, the natural world, the natural world loves you back, you know, mm -hmm. and it's that feeling when you, yeah, when you really settle into that, wow, like the natural world loves me back. And I think a lot of times it's easy for us to, to, you know, think we love, you know, people or things. Um, but there's a reciprocity and a mutuality when you feel other beings loving you back. And so um, particularly creation, particularly the natural world. Um, and, you know, I first stumbled upon this idea from Robin Wall Kimmer and her book, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass. So um, yeah, it's just been a beautiful, yeah, beautiful journey of um experiencing that mutual love and care from mm -hmm. from creation so yeah well I love the way it sounds like your life is so fully integrated with what I've been reading about in in your your new book so let's talk about your new book sacred belonging a 40-day devotional on the liberating heart of scripture I was really hooked from the very first sentence you write I must admit, I haven't read a devotional in years. And devotionals really can be hit or miss. So right. yours, yours is unique in like the best way. So I would love for you to say a little bit about your journey of writing this book and how it differs from other devotionals that our listeners might pick up. Yeah, well, thank you for, for reading and engaging and picking up on that. I think it was a little intimidating for me to write a devotional because I hadn't read a devotional in years. I was like, <laughs> Am I, should I even be doing this? Um, but I think, you know, the journey of just working on this project really just stemmed from wanting to write something that I personally wanted to read, right? Mm -hmm. um, that I, that wasn't very, there's not uh, many resources for folks um, that want to read something accessible or something digestible in a daily format um, that wrestles with topics that are, I think, whether it's fun or different or wrestles with topics that are heavy um, or wrestles with um, things that, you know, wrestles with doubt or fear or, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of the devotionals that I've read in the past, um, you know, might be more I don't know. I mean, there's different kinds of devotionals sure. out there, but I wanted something, yeah, something that was just unique and something that was different. And so I wrote it because I wanted to read it. And I think my journey, um, I really wanted to look at scripture and all of the things that were in there that our culture, that Western culture, that the dominant culture uh, might oftentimes miss. So, you know, the connection that we read in the Bible that God or that God encourages God's people to have with the moon or even the way that the stars played a role in, you know, the ancient world and how we might miss that, you know, dominant culture might say that that's, you know, new agey or whatever, right, but right. I kind of wanted folks to like, wait a minute, let's rethink this. What, 
what did God really say, you know, about the stars or the moon um, and things like that. And so I really wanted to play with um, a lot of different things in scripture that um, we might not think about, or by we, I just mean the dominant culture, you know, evangelicalism in general just might not think about um, our connection to dreams or, you know, these sort of things that for many decolonized or post-colonial or many, you know, communities across the globe, they still might be big parts of their spirituality, right? Um, and so I wanted to do something fun and different and also deep, right? And yeah. thoughtful. And so, that was my journey of writing this book. And, and it was really so incredible. I mean, it really did change so much of how I think. I mean, you know, I've, I've reevaluated my relationship to time thanks to this book. I mean, it really writing this book was what moved me out, you know, out of the city and into a farm. I mean, there was so much that as I was writing this, I was really essentially decolonizing a lot of my own life in the process and reconnecting to the land, reconnecting, um, you know, to my body and reconnecting to the feminine. Um, and it was in the process of, of, yeah, wrestling with these difficult and exciting and unique topics. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was an excruciating process because I was, you know, three months postpartum, but it was a wonderful, beautiful process. And I'm, I'm really um, still experiencing the fruits of that right now. Well, in several chapters, you write about um, the natural world. You, you, you've begun to talk about this, the natural world and the way God reveals himself through animals and stars and plants and all kinds of nature. And you really go a step deeper in exploring these ideas than many other writers that I've I've come across. Um, so I'd love to hear how your understanding of the natural world and God's presence in it has changed over the years. It seems like you're you're in like a growing space with that. So how mm -hmm. has it changed? Yeah, well, I think, you know, from what even when I was a young kid, and I wrote a little bit about this in Awalita Faith, but, you know, I felt like so much of my community and my family's history was deeply connected to the land for survival, for sustenance, right? In Awalita Faith, I write about how, you know, Awela and her plants and her trees and her garden. And I mean, that was a life source for her, you know, and I, I have just this memory that I'll never forget. She could barely walk. And this was a few years ago. And now she has dementia. She walks even less and she talks even less. And, um, you know, her, her days are very close. But, you know, back then it was like every time I would go over and visit, we would go and pick mangoes off the tree and pick, you know, avocados off the tree. And it was just this this thing for her, you know, to hold it in her hand and to, um, yeah, to experience that with her. And I realized just how much life that gave her. And I think that that has always been, um, you know, within me, it's sort of been something that has lived in me. But in the last several years, I've been, as you mentioned, on a growth journey of, you know, seeing what that means for me and what my relationship to the land can be, um, you know, and it's, a lot of it also was sparked from just my interest in scripture and digging into the Bible. And so how much of the Bible is so deeply connected to the earth? I mean, literally from Genesis to Revelation and Genesis from dust, we came into dust, we will return. And then all the way through Revelation, I write about this. I end actually, that's the bookend of my book. I start with Genesis, I end with Revelation, and I end with this incredible passage that I never heard anyone preach about, or I never heard anyone talk about, about how the earth saves the woman, you know, and I don't want to give too much because I want folks to read For it, sure. but it is just this incredible, um, you know, from beginning to end narrative of how God so loved the world. And I, I was 
having a conversation with someone yesterday and um, in Scott McKnight's like new uh, translation, he translates, which is, I think, an incredible translation, um, John 316, for God so loved the cosmos, which gives us a grander picture of like, God doesn't just love individual people, which yes, you know, God does. And I think that's beautiful and wonderful. But God loves the actual physical world. You know, mm. I read the how when Jesus and this was something that um, actually before I began writing this book, what really sparked a lot of these ideas was Jesus saying, look at the birds of the air. And then like, actually, what if we did that? <laughs> right? right. Or look at, you know. Um, look at the trees or, you know, all the, all the things that Jesus tells us, like, look at the birds. They don't, you know, worry about this or, you know, the flowers are all dressed and they don't. And, you know, I decided, well, what if I actually took Jesus literally, like so many people say we should do, right? <laughs> and <laughs> looked at the birds of the air and actually noticed the flowers. Um, and that was, a, a, again, a spiritual discipline for me to start to really take Jesus literally in these in these things and um, learn so much about what it means to be human, what it means to be a human in this world, relating to other beings, because we relate to the natural world, how we relate to each other. You know, when we care for the quote unquote least of these, I think that that translates, you know, I think that it's a holistic way of being. If we don't, you know, if we disregard the natural world, then it's so much easier for us to disregard people in our midst. And I think it all comes together, right? Um, Yeah. And so, you know, my husband and I just got on this very intentional journey of um, of caring for the leaf of bees, of you know, getting serious about recycling and composting, and and it was just an everyday, you know, our everyday lives, and then it just kept getting deeper and deeper until we're like, we got to move, you know, out of the city, and, and that's not everyone's journey, of course, but I think, um, yeah, for us, it's it really has become so, um, yeah, such a big part of our lives, and I've really started to see just how intimately we are connected and how we are one with the natural world in so many beautiful ways. And I see that again throughout scripture. I love how, you know, in Job, uh, God says like, look at behemoth or ask behemoth, ask, you know, literally God is telling Job, like talk to the natural world and see what it tells you about me, about life, about, you know, the lived experience. And um, I think it's, really um, paradigm shifting when we do those things as the Bible tells us to do it Uh, because there is so much to learn. Um, You know, I I learned so much from my chickens and I learned so much, you know, and that sounds so, you know, just kind of simple, but it's not, you know, it really isn't. And I felt really silly. I remember, you know, and I I write about this in, in the devotion, but I felt silly when my cat died and I was so, so messed up about it. I was, so, I mean, I literally cried every day for six months and I felt like something was wrong with me, you know, and I would apologize profusely for caring about my cat. And then one day it hit me. I'm like, no, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to experience the depth of, you know, being a human in this world in relationship with other beings human beings or non-human beings, right? This is what it means to to be our full selves. And I wanted, um, yeah, I, I let go of that shame or that, you know, silliness or that shame of feeling that way. And I said, no, I want to experience everything of what it means to be human. And that is caring about things that, you know, some people might not understand, or, you know, I think that that's the beauty of, of being alive. And, and I think that, you know, God calls us to that when, if you, again, if you read throughout scripture, his God's relationship and Jesus's relationship to the natural world is such that, um, yeah, that 
there is so much depth there. And so um, I wrote about my cat and about, you know, like there's so many people that care about so deeply about their animals, you know, our animals are everything to us sometimes. And so, yeah, so that's sort of been my journey of um, connecting to the natural world. Yeah. I mean, no, these, and these, these ideas really come through throughout the whole book and you draw out a beautiful way that connecting with the natural world is embracing vulnerability and caring for, you know, you're, you're talking about caring for the least of these that, you know, that our, our love makes us vulnerable and by loving mm-hmm these these vulnerable places it increases our love and increases our care and there's mm-hmm. so much in there right yeah and I like I said earlier it's it's all connected you know I think yeah. when we when we're taking the time you know to care about how much water we're wasting or you know if we're recycling or you know how we live our daily lives that's a form of integrity that I think carries out into just how we live in general how we treat other people you know if we're living with that sort of integrity I think it can do wonders to us and I think that's what I've seen in my own life like you know just the simple act of you know just yeah you know being um holistic in that Mm -hmm. sense I feel like has has changed me as a person as a Christian as a neighbor right um in my in my life and so I think that yeah it all matters and you know we do a disservice when we compartmentalize you know our life um our spirituality and and the physical world and I think that was a lot of what I wanted to communicate that it's not separate right um our spirituality is intimately connected to how we engage our daily life, how we, what we think about the natural world, how we, you know, um, interact with every bit and piece of, of thing or being that we come in contact with again, whether that be human or non-human or, um, so yeah, I think, I think it matters. And I think, um, you know, if we have more pastors and, and theologians and professors and just Christians in general integrating reality and integrating our spirituality in that way, I think we can see a lot deeper and richer faith around us. Yeah. Well, and I think that you you describe this really well in a repeated phrase that you use throughout the book. Um, you talk about God's kingdom as opposed to God's kingdom. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about the way you you chose that word, the kind of the difference between kingdom and kingdom? Yeah, I think so. Ada Maria Sassiti is the mother of Mujerista theology, which she has been, you know, so monumental for me. She was monumental in writing Abuelita Faith, and so much of Abuelita Faith was drawn from, you know, her work. Um, and so I love that she came up with this. She's sort of like the first person to use mm. kingdom as opposed to kingdom. So that's just a special connection for me personally. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so the sort of the idea behind using kingdom instead of kingdom is that, you know, when kingdom is talked about in the New Testament, it's very much a politically charged word, right? Um, so much of the New Testament writers use, king, you know, God's kingdom in opposition to Caesar's kingdom. Like it is an imperial thing, right? And so, and I think it's a word that was specifically used in that way for that reason, right? To communicate to readers, um, to communicate to those, uh, you know, in that context of like, hey, you know, you understand 
king, you know, you understand that we belong to Caesar and his kingdom and all that, but now we are going to live as if we belong to gods, which is, you know, a completely different lived experience, a completely different reality. You know, people say it's God's upside down kingdom or, you know, all these sort of um, ways to describe God's kingdom as different than the empire, different than imperialism, different to, to Caesar's kingdom. And so, um, uh, Ada Maria Sassidias sort of use this word kingdom to describe that difference, like this, you know, this difference that it's not like empire, it's something different. And you know what, it's so different, we're not even going to use the same word. And I, I appreciate that, you know, I think people don't like that. A lot of people feel like, um, you know, we're, I don't know, using trying to change what the New Testament writers are saying. And I don't think that's the case. I think that it's just a way of in our understanding of things now that you know how language evolves and language develops, just um, yeah, uh, using another word to describe how we understand God's kingdom. And you see this in the New Testament um, and how so many of the, the New Testament writers, when they talk about how we are connected, you know, in, in the early church, for example, in Paul's writings, even how the the, the body of Christ is connected through brothers and sisters who are not blood related, but they're kin, right? Where we are family, you know, my sister in Christ, my my brother in Christ, it's this kin language. And it's not, the, it, again, it's not the kind of kingdom that, you know, empire, um, that empire controls or that empire dominates, which is, you know, run by, or which is a kingdom that rests on hierarchy and, and yeah, and domination and all of these sort of suppression and oppression and patriarchy, right? This kingdom or, or God's kingdom, if I want to use that word, is, um, is a kingdom that is not uh, established by those things, right? It's not fear-based. It's not, um, you know, everyone shares and everyone is um, equal and there is no, you know, male nor female nor Jew nor, you know, it's it's this beautiful um, kingdom of mutuality mm -hmm. and uh, reciprocity, right? And so that's just the, the use of that word is just to... Um, you know, so that we can train our eyes to sort of see it in that light, yeah. right? It's just a way of, it's the kind of kingdom, not necessarily wanting to just change what the New Testament writers are saying, but just show us that it's a different kind of kingdom, right? It's mm -hmm. a kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, you know, this, this sort of change in language, we see it in the same way um, with like, for example, the cross, right? The cross in the Roman, in the Roman world was a symbol of torture and symbol of death. But now when we think of the cross, it's a symbol of worship, right? Yeah. So we've used that same word or that same image, and we've completely changed its meaning or definition or, you know, what we experience when we think about a cross. And I think it's the same thing with kingdom, you know, um, when we think of kingdom, you know, we're envisioning an entirely different type of thing. And so I like to use that word to just get our minds to shift and, and no, this isn't a kingdom like empire, which, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times, you know, in, in our modern world, the kingdom, you know, the way that people live out their faith, the way that people understand Christianity can look a lot like an empire or the kingdom. And so um, I like that distinction to get our minds just to kind of do a double take. Yeah, I think it works. That's good. Well, I want to ask about um, another idea that, that came up for me. Um, in day 13, you write, there are a lot of things I cannot be certain of, but I am certain that God is not fragile. 
you advocate for arguing with God as a helpful spiritual practice. I totally agree with this. And in other parts of the book, you remind the reader that we are free to question assumptions about scripture and history and cultural Christian practices. So I would love for you to say a little bit more about this kind of wrestling with God. I think many of us aren't really in the habit of doing this all the time. Yeah, well, in that devotion, I talk about how, you know, that was a very common Jewish practice in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Like there, you know, folks were constantly, you know, wrestling and arguing with their rabbis. And, and that's part of what it meant to grow in your understanding of faith, of spirituality, of God. Um, and I think that we've, you know, come a long way from that. You know, we were so, um, we're so fixed on certainty and we're so fixed on being right. And I write about how, you know, so much of our faith rests on being right. And I think because of that, there's so much fear in, Hey, maybe we're wrong. And then I don't mean about like these big, you know, things like did Jesus, you know, I just mean in just little everyday sort of um, ways that we engage our faith. Like there's a chance that, you know, our theology might not be a hundred percent and there's no way of really knowing, you know, little aspects of, of what we think theologically. And that's okay. You know, I don't think that God, um, you know, I think that there's room to question and to argue and to wonder I think there's room for that, as we see in so many of the characters in scripture. I mean, there's room for that. I think that, um, you know, God doesn't get on anyone for not, you know, knowing the right thing in that exact moment. I think that um, that's a lot of what it means to have wisdom. I think to have wisdom is to um, seek it out, right? To, I mean, the Bible literally says, like, love wisdom, look for her, seek her, you know, find her, all of this sort of language when it comes to wisdom. And in order to find that, you have to, in order to seek it, I mean, it involves a lot of digging and it involves a lot of questioning, a lot of wondering. Um, and I think that, you know, and I, I don't think I'm, I'm fairly certain that, um, that God welcomes that, you know, mm -hmm. and the main, I guess, you know, what really makes me believe that is that, you know, we read a Jewish scripture, you know, we follow a Jewish Christ and so much of the faith, you know, rests on this notion of wrestling and wondering and arguing, you know? And so I think that um, that just gives us permission to do so. And if, if folks in the Bible wrestled with God in that way, then I think that we can too. And I think that a lot of it involves, you know, yeah, just arguing back with God, you know, mm -hmm. so much of my spiritual formation has happened uh, in doing that in, you know, reading something in scripture and Hey, I don't like that. You know, when, when women are sexually abused in the Bible, I don't like that. You know, that doesn't feel good to me. So let's talk about that, God. Like, how could, you know, let's let's wrestle with this. And I think that that um, really not only, you know, get, uh, allows us to go deeper in our relationship with, with God, but I think it also, you know, allows us to, to have deeper connection with other people, you know, to be able to to look out into the world, you know, in the human experiences, which is so complicated. And there is so much happening in our world that is hard and so much that we don't like. <laughs> and so if we're able, you know, to, to do that when we read the Bible, then we're able to do that when we, you know, are living amongst complicated people in a complicated world. And we're able to, um, yeah, really wrestle with, as I mentioned, the human experience, which can be so difficult. And so I think it is um, not only is it biblical, you know, to argue with God to wrestle, but I think um, it 
it makes us more human. And, you know, as we become more human, you know, I think, you know, Jesus was fully human. And I think Jesus wrestled with the depths of the human experience. And so that gives us permission to do the same. And in that is, um, yeah, to not gloss over the difficult in the Bible, to not uh, pretend it's not there, you know, as a new mom, I, I read so much about how important it is to validate, you know, my young toddler's emotions and feelings, which are all the time, you know, there's so many big emotions all the time. And if I just pretended they weren't there, then my daughter, you know, is not going to develop emotional intelligence. She's not going to know what she's feeling. She's not going to be able to communicate that with me. And so, you know, even today before I dropped her off at daycare, are you feeling scared and are you feeling nervous? And I want her to understand, oh, yes, that is what I'm feeling, even though, if you know, she might not fully grasp it. But with time, oh, these feelings that I'm feeling, yeah, maybe that's nerves or anxiousness or fear, you know, and that can help her um, yeah, wrestle with what it means to be a person in the world and, and grow up with, you know, emotional intelligence and be able to have those conversations with others and help walk others through that. And I think that it's the same thing when we read the Bible, you know, what is this bringing up for me? How does this make me feel? Um, what is the truth in this story? You know, I think not that, you know, we, we shouldn't seek for the truth, you know, in that, but yeah, what is the truth in this? And how am I feel? How is this making me feel? What does this tell me about humanity? Um, and how can I take this to God? Um, yeah, to, to go deeper in who I am as a person and how I understand my faith. Well, another, another thing that you make connections, um, throughout the book, uh, another idea is you talk about the care of the earth and our spiritual wellness. And then in the last part of your book, you also draw women into the mix in a special way. You, I wrote this down, you write, making the connection between the feminine and ecology is essential for the liberation of both. I would love for you to unpack that idea for us. I'm, I'm just very interested in you know, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about climate change and ecology and things like that. So tell me more. Yeah. So that was actually, um, yeah, so monumental for me in my research, um, you know, because I knew I wanted to talk about the feminine and I knew I wanted to talk about creation. Um, and a lot of this devotional is written from a decolonized lens. And so, you know, I'm trying to you know, uniquely, like, look at both from a specific, you know, decolonial lens. And so much, you know, as I'm, I'm doing my research, and I'm making these connections between empire and, you know, the characteristics of empire, which is domination, you know, as I've mentioned, control, hierarchy, um, you know, all of these things. And I'm realizing the way that empire, the way that the Western world, the way that we have been sort of taught to relate to the natural world in, in a relationship of domination and control and a relationship of extraction and and um you know this this very um and i write in in sacred belonging that it's it's a misunderstanding of the command to um to have dominion over you know um we've sort of and you know in general we have understood that as you know have dominion as dominate you know and i don't believe that that's what god meant god didn't say you know dominate have domination over um and i write a little bit about the interpretation of that but um but yeah i've realized that a lot of the ways that are through my research that a lot of the ways that the earth is treated 
it's the same way that empire patriarchy that the you know that women are treated right the domination and exploitation of women in nature um are mutually enforcing and, and a big part of that is because throughout history women have been characterized in the same way as you know the earth as carnal as fleshly um chaotic, unpredictable, irrational, subjective. And these are all characteristics that are both given to women and the natural world, right? The natural oh, yeah. world is chaotic, unpredictable, um, irrational, right? And, you know, it has been man's objective throughout history to dominate the natural world, right? To make the natural world do what you want it to do, to use it as a quote-unquote resource, um, for capitalism, for whatever. And I think that in the same way, you know, the men throughout history have been wanting to dominate women, right? To dominate them into submission um, so that women can do the things, you know, procreate or whatever, you know, do the things that women are supposed to do. And so there, ha there has been throughout history this, this really alarming and eye-opening connection between women and nature. And then at the same time, you know, women have sort of been the caretakers of nature throughout history, right? Um, you see this in so many indigenous societies or even in so many um, societies across the globe. Women are the ones to take care of nature. Women are the ones um, to gather resources from nature, food, water. You know, women are the ones that are really intimately connected to nature. And so I think that there is, um, yeah, this really, really... Um, interesting connection between the two and so it, yeah I, I read a lot of like eco-feminism and eco-womanism mm -hmm. um commentaries and readings and and theology books and and how you know in order to um liberate women throughout the world um it really involves changing how we view and relate to the natural world because so much of it um in when i talk about empire so much of it has been, you know, the same, this, this relationship of suppression and oppression and domination and exploitation and, and extraction. Um, so yeah. And, and also, you know, so much of what I was reading too, how I mentioned that women are, are typically the caretakers of nature, you know, climate change, as you mentioned, you know, you've been reading a lot about climate change, poor women throughout the globe are the ones most affected by climate change because they are the ones, you know, walking twice as far to gather water, um, you know, when our world is burning and our, you know, the, 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 it's just getting hotter and warmer and crops are dying. I mean, women are the ones that are farming and, you know, can't provide for their families in that way, can't um, bring food home in, in that way. And so, yeah, women are the ones um, that are really mostly affected, I mean, across the globe, obviously, that are most affected by climate change. And so um, I think that, it really is important that we make that connection and then start to, you know, decolonize in that sense, decolonize um, our relationship to nature and also um, how women are related to and viewed, um, you know, it, when it comes to, yeah, imperialism, patriarchy, all the things. And so, yeah. yeah, that connection for me was just very fascinating. I want us to talk for a minute about women in the academic and professional context, um, the the listeners that we have, and how they can use this book. And I think there are many ideas from, from Sacred Belonging that really connect. Um, in particular, I wanted to ask you about one. You talk about midwives and doulas who have helped you. You talk about this later in the book. Um, these midwives and doulas helped not only in 
kind of human childbirth, but also in the birthing of ideas and writing projects. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I am. Um... I feel like, you know, the process of, you know, spiritual midwifery or, you know, um, spiritual doulas, I feel like that is, you know, something that every single human being um, partakes in. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's such a beautiful picture of how we all need each other, you know, in this life of how interconnected we all are, you know, so much of who I am, it was because others came alongside me and helped birth things out of me, whether it's books or degrees, or just ideas, or, you know, humans, you know, whatever it is, I, I have relied so much on um, people that have assisted me in birthing. And so I think that that is something, um, you know, it's a beautiful way when you think of your role in other people's lives or other people's roles in your life at different times, right? Because we're, people are going to step into and out of our lives for different reasons. And, you know, sometimes I think, man, you know, I don't have, you know, I don't talk to this person as much as I used to. And I can, you know, free myself from that burden of like, oh, wait a minute, maybe they were put into my life just as a doula or as a midwife in that moment, I just needed them to help me birth this or vice versa, you know, and I think that, you know, this, the process of birthing, again, we see that so much in, in scripture, you know, God talks so much about birthing, you know, how God is on a, on a birthing bed, how God, um, you know, we see it in New Testament writings, how we are birthing, you know, new things. And, and it's such a beautiful imagery because the process of birthing involves so much waiting and it involves so much, um, uncertainty. And I think that that is a lot of the human experience. You know, there's so much that we're waiting for, or it feels like, or there's so much um, that we're anticipating, or it feels like. Um, but yeah, if we can, you know, rely on each other and the interconnectedness of the hum- human experience of humanity, I think, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And so for women in academia, I think, you know, um, how are we acting as midwives in other people's lives or, or who's acting as a midwife or a doula in our life. And, um, and I think when we name that, it can be so helpful. Like, you know, when we're going through a season that we might feel like, man, you know, like academia, it really is that season. It feels like that a lot of the time, you know, we're, we're, we're really working toward a goal and we're, you know, it's, it's hard and it involves a lot of us. Um, but who are the people in our lives that are, you know, assisting us in that process? And um, and how are we doing that for others? I think it's such a beautiful image, um, you know, and it was birthed from my own birthing, you know, process. I yeah. wouldn't have, um, you know, physical birthing process, but also just, you know, becoming who I am in this time right now in space, you know, even just this book. I mean, I look back and it was, there were so many people and even experiences that midwifed me, that mothered me that um acted as a spiritual doula in this process um even you know experiences in the natural world right um yeah and so i just i, I just love that image of how we are all birthing people uh, whether we birthed or not well cat this has been such an interesting conversation and i would love for our readers to know about how to how to follow you and your work and what's coming up for you what's on the horizon you mentioned the substack newsletter we can link to things in the the show notes. yeah yeah so i mean yeah i i i've gotten um substack has been so fun for me you know in the last um several months and just feel like you know blogging black back in the blogging days i've just been able to just write about you know things that i'm thinking about or 
you know, this sort of stuff, you know, just been able to write about it and writing about all the spiritual things my chickens laying their first eggs brought up yeah. for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you can check out my Substack. It's just uh, catarmist.substack.com, my website, catarmist.com. Um, and I'm also on social media and Instagram where, you know, I talk about all this stuff. And yeah, uh, Sacred Belonging comes out. Um, well, I don't know when this will be released, but it'll be out um, September 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I have other writing projects in the works that I'm, I, won't talk about yet, but I will uh, share soon. So I'm really excited about that. So just, um, yeah, if you want to be in the loop, just follow me on all of those platforms. I love the way Kat draws connections between caring for the vulnerable beings and creatures and things in our sphere. It's kind of a process of training ourselves to care for the least of these. I really like that. And I hope you pick up a copy of Sacred Belonging on sale everywhere books are sold. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus from our podcast, where Kat talks about the importance of body awareness, especially for academics. The Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from my conversation with Kat. Yeah, you know, that, again, from my own experience, this I wanted to write about embodiment because I felt like for so long I was disconnected from my own body. I lived only in my mind and in my in my head. Um and I do think a part of that is, you know, post-enlightenment. And I think a lot of it is just, yeah, you know, um, colonial ideology. And a lot of it is being a Western person, um, valuing the mind over the body. And and also, you know, I feel like throughout the throughout history, it was convenient for um, that to be empire's narrative because then it could subjugate bodies and say, well, that's it's fine because really the only thing that matters is the soul and the mind and not the body. And so... I think, um, yeah, it's really important, I think, in order to live as free, liberated beings to reconnect um, to our bodies. I think that that is the way that it was intended for us to be. We see that so much in the Bible. I mean, the incarnation, hello, you know, um, (laughs) if bodies didn't matter, Jesus would not have come in a body. Jesus would not have, right, like died an actual physical bodily death. And then also resurrected in a physical body with wounds, which Mm -hmm. I think is just, you know, I talk about that in the disabled section. Um, You know, wounds are a central part of the story um, and you can't have wounds without a physical body. And so I think that the way that um, when we disregard or disengage from our bodies, um, I think that's part of what's what's making us sick, you know, as a society, it, um, because so much of who we are lives in our bodies, our emotions live in our bodies, our anxieties, our fears. I mean, anything you need to know about the human experience lives in the body. And I think 
um, you know, in order to be a full, whole, integrated being. And that includes spiritually, obviously. Um, it, it's You need to be aware of your body. You need to know what's in your body, what you're experiencing in your body. And so I think um, for me, as I'm doing this work, because a lot of this work is heavy work. And I think yeah. theological work is heavy work. You know, it involves, in Alwadita Faith, you know, I start the book with talking about research grief and how mm-hmm. I was ex- like physically experiencing um, this grief from like doing research, you know, and that's so common, especially when we're wrestling with the things of God that are so intimate and are so personal for us. And I think it involves, yeah, like what are the experiences that you're having in your body as you're doing this work? Um, and how can you tend to that? What are the emotions that are being stored in your body that might need to be released? Um, what are the tensions that are in your body? And I think it's constantly checking in, you know, as you do this work, as you know, you do this heavy, heady work, constantly check in. What am I feeling right now? What is this bringing up for me? What are you holding? You know, where are you? And, and so that's been just, again, a big part of my journey, you know, in the last uh, few years of writing this book and, um, you know, decolonizing, you know, my, my relationship to all things. 